Like Shannon said, my name is David Jacob, and uh, as always, it's just a very wonderful privilege of mine to be here with you all this morning. I uh, just want to welcome anybody who's visiting with us for the first time, or the second time, or the fifth time, or if you still just feel like you're a visitor, I just welcome. Uh, and anybody who comes here every week, welcome. Thanks for showing up. It looks like we got a, a nice crowd uh, today. Uh, so we have been, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we are in the middle of a sermon series that we are calling um, Jesus Meets Us Where We Are. Jesus Meets Us Where We Are. And, then, and we base the series on some very bold statements by Jesus. In John chapter 4, in, uh, verse 6, he, he tells someone, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, For no one can come to me unless the Father is, uh, who sent me draws them to me, and on the last day I will raise them up. And again in Luke 19, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And kind of the overarching theme of, that, of, of those scriptures is there's not much that we can do to kind of find Jesus. No matter how smart we are, no matter how much we try to connect the dots, it's ultimately Jesus who draws us to himself. For some of us, it's very comforting. It's like, thank you, because I no way I'm smart enough to figure this whole thing out. I will never earn my way. I'm very in touch with that. For some other, others of us, it just kind of maybe offends our senses a little bit that, that, that I don't know, so that, I thought that I was a part of it somehow. And, and Jesus kind of squashes that a little bit. And that's, I think that's a good thing. But, uh, but we're kind of in a culture where, you know, we're, we're celebrated uh, for pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We, you know, uh, 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 the people who are the most successful are usually the ones who overcome great obstacles. And it's, and it's they who figure out the secret mysteries of business and life and relationships. And they write books. And, the, and those are the people who we should be following. But Jesus said, I just want you to follow me. And I, don't worry about it. I'm going to find you. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to seek you because I know that you're lost without me. That is good, good news. So we've looked at a few stories uh, uh, of Jesus' personal encounter with some folks in the Bible. And we started the sermon series with a, a story of Jesus meeting a woman at the well. Uh, and it just so happens, this, uh, uh, it's a very interesting encounter for many reasons. And by the way, I'm going to kind of give a very quick synopsis. I would encourage you, if you weren't here for those weeks, to go and listen to the sermons on our website. But uh, Jesus encounters this woman who just so happened to have five husbands and uh, was divorced uh, five times and had, uh, is in the middle of an adulterous affair. And, and so uh, Jesus, even talking to this woman, is kind of a big deal. It crosses many cultural barriers. One, men and women typically didn't talk very much, especially a, a very religious or pious uh, rabbi or teacher that Jesus was didn't really talk to. That was just the culture of that day. Not only that, but, but uh, women or men, for that matter, who were uh, uh, in adulterous relationships were very uh, kind of pushed out by society. But that story teaches us that, that Jesus finds the people who are just kind of pushed away from society. People, Jesus seems to be drawn by, to the people who are just kind of pushed to the margins by the so-called good people of society. And so Jesus finds this woman by herself in the heat of the day, and he finds her, and he saves her. And next, uh, we also talked about a, a story of, of Jesus encountering uh, a lame man who was laying by, by this healing pool, kind of in the temple compound. Uh, and, and here's this man who is just, 
uh, sick and ill and, and incapacitated. And this, it's not really described what his sickness was, just that he was laying. He was just incapacitated, laying at this pool for 38 years. 38 years, and I could just imagine the depth of, of pain and sorrow that this man felt for all of his life. And we find him alone, stranded, desperate. He says, nobody is ever here to help me. How can I be healed? And Jesus finds him in a moment of sheer desperation, hopelessness, and loneliness. And he finds him. Jesus finds him. And he rescues him. And then last week, we talked about another kind of person, another sort of state of life, of a man named Saul, who was passionately in pursuit of everything that had to do with things of not of Jesus. In fact, he was just running against Jesus. He was persecuting the early church. And this said he was putting people in jail. He was, he was kicking people out of their homes, out of the communities. He was, in some cases, even killing people. And Jesus knocked him off his high horse, so to speak, and figuratively and literally. And he encounters him. And he finds him where he was on this road to Damascus to do even more harm. And he saves him. He rescues him. These are all stories of hope because it shows us that no matter where we are in life, Jesus finds us. He seeks us because we're all lost without him. And what these stories teach us many things, but one of the things that it teaches us is who is eligible to be found. And you just have this wide spectrum of people who are just breaking every moral code and have no idea that... that what they're doing is even wrong. You have people who are just trying to find every, uh, 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 try to follow every letter of the law and even make up their own rules just so that they could just make sure that they're doing the right thing. Or you just have people who are just so blinded, so confused and disoriented by their brokenness that you just have no idea which way is up. And Jesus finds all those types of people. And it's, it's amazing. And so we can, we can identify these groups of people. And I want to today look at another group of people that Jesus seems to regularly draw to himself. I've titled today's sermon, Jesus and the Seeker. Jesus and the Seeker. And there are several stories of Jesus' encounters with seekers, and there's different circumstances, different approaches. You know, were the people actually seeking him, or were they kind of trying to get their own agenda across? And, uh, 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 but today, I want to focus on a story that I think is just a great illustration of how Jesus meets the seeker. And I think many of us, if not all of us, kind of fall into this category. Whether we're trying to follow Jesus as, the, as kind of an ultimate source of truth and, and, and life or not. I, I just feel like we are on this, uh, uh, if, if not all of us, are just, we're on this pursuit of truth. Whether that's kind of looking internally, looking at, you know, the latest media or, or the latest uh, uh, self-help books or whatever. We're trying to find some meaning to this life, some truth. And I think Jesus... This is a perfect group of people for Jesus to encounter. So I'd like to uh, look at a story in the book of Acts. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Acts is uh, the fifth book of the New Testament. Uh, and so uh, the New Testament is uh, just kind of, um, kind of where Jesus gets on the scene and, and the, the story of the early church. And so we have the first four books of the Bible, which are called the Gospels. And they're, they're, there's the story, uh, retelling of the life of Jesus, his ministry, uh, his death and resurrection. And even after he resurrected, kind of his, his, his uh, ministry to, to his followers following that. And so the book of Acts picks up when Jesus kind of uh, 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 ascends back to heaven. And it's kind of the story of the, his followers after Jesus ascends to heaven. So just to run through very quickly of kind of the beginning of the book of Acts is, is Jesus, um, 
Jesus tells his disciples, tells his followers, hey, listen, I'm going to go to heaven, but I want you guys to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, of course, was a, in that day the, the center of a, a Jewish religion, Jewish culture. Uh, he says, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem and wait for, wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, uh, they do that, and they go, and the Holy Spirit comes, and there's with, uh, 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 the day of Pentecost, or this kind of out, this day where the uh, Holy Spirit encountered a, a large group of people, and some 3,000 uh, 3, people like, gave their lives to Jesus in one day. And that, that's not like an instant megachurch. I don't know what it is. But it's just this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, it didn't take very long for people to kind of push back to that success. And there were some people who didn't really like the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or Jesus and this whole Jesus thing. And so there was this wave of persecution against the church. Uh, and, and as a result of that, um, uh, many of his followers were scattered throughout the area. Uh, and one of, one of the men who were scattered to a different region was a man named Philip. And Philip goes to this area called Samaria. And Samaria is just a, a little further north in Jerusalem. And uh, he doesn't keep quiet, and he actually starts preaching to the people in Samaria. Uh, and, and, and it just so happens that the people of Samaria like what, he, like what he has to say, and they're drawn to him. And there seems to be this, like, Samarian, like, uh, awakening. And, and he's preaching. People are coming and eager to find him. The, the, it's, it's such a big deal that the apostles in Jerusalem get wind of this, and they actually go to Samaria to figure out what's going on. They lay hands on the, on the Samaritans. The Holy Spirit comes. There's this wonderful dynamic ministry and that's where we pick up. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. And before I do that, I'm, going to, I'm going to just, just going to pray for us. By the way, as I read, um, you know, we have Bibles at the edges of the rows. But I would encourage you to, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to bring it. Uh, these screens won't um, go home with you, or they, they shouldn't. Um, we do have a tether that's just as far as the door. No, we don't, but... Uh, it's, it's one thing to just, you know, look up at a screen every week and read, read the Bible. It's another thing to actually hold the Bible in your hand and read it. So I would encourage you to bring your own Bible. Uh, but if you don't have one or if you don't have one today, uh, there are Bibles at the Ezra's Rose and the, Bible, the words will be displayed on the screen. But uh, um, so let me, let me just pray for us. Father in heaven, I just thank you uh, for sending Jesus. I thank you that... that uh, Jesus brought good news. And the good news is that he finds us, that he seeks us. And yes, we are lost without him. But God, that, that he seeks after us, no matter where we are or who we are. God, I thank you so much for that. And God, I thank you uh, uh, just for this opportunity to be here together this morning. I thank you for your word. Uh, um, God, I ask that you would put power on this message. God, I, I, I truly ask that you would just get me out of the way and that your spirit would just speak to every one of us, including me, exactly where we need it. God, will you bless us, bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south, down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, or Candace, as some other um, translations read, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? 
and he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was a prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch uh, said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, but the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So Philip is in the middle of this dynamic ministry in Samaria. Wonderful man. People are just, you know, the Holy Spirit's pouring himself out, and everything is just wonderful. And then the Holy Spirit says, uh, 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 I want you somewhere else. And as obedient as Philip was, he just obeyed, and he just left. This wonderful thing happening, you just, okay, I'm going to go to the middle of nowhere because you told me to. And he meets this Ethiopian treasure, and if you can imagine, this just isn't some dude. At anybody, in any period of history, if you're in charge of the country's wealth, I mean, you're somebody. I mean, so, so just imagine maybe there's a, a large caravan and, and, uh, or, or, or something like that. But this guy was, uh, 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 I think it's important to, to, to know that he was in Ethiopia. And Ethiopia was not right next to Jerusalem. Um, you know, in those ancient times, it was, uh, it was a big deal to walk a mile. That was just, a, I mean... I don't know how you like to walk a mile, but it was just a big deal. And to walk 10 miles was a big deal, maybe even being a, a multiple-day trip. Some estimates say that this guy traveled over 1,000 miles to get to Jerusalem. This guy was going to Jerusalem for something. He was seeking. He was searching. He was obviously a very devout follower of Judaism. He, he wanted to understand and know the truth of God. And not only that, he didn't just show up to Jerusalem just to show up. But he was reading. He was reading the scriptures. He was trying to figure out what was this whole thing all about. And so it's on this incredibly uh, long ride home, he pulls out the scriptures. And, uh, and so the Holy Spirit prompts Philip to, to go meet this guy. He finds him on the road. Probably wasn't difficult to find him. But he finds him. He runs up to his chariot or his, his carriage. And he walks along beside him. He says, hey, do you need some help with that? And the guy says, actually, I do. Thank you for coming. Come right in. And so he... Uh, he, Philip uh, is, has the opportunity to explain what the scripture is all about. Uh, the eunuch um, uh, apparently accepts the message and he's baptized and he goes away rejoicing. And it's just a wonderful uh, example um, of just how Jesus finds us. And, um, you know, I just see this as a wonderful illustration of how Jesus encounters seekers. If you notice in the scripture, the sort of person of Jesus or a manifestation, whether a voice or whatever, it just wasn't part of the story. But I think uh, it's very appropriate to see this as an illustration of how Jesus uh, encounters seekers because you have some other context and other stories, uh, but also, I mean, they're led by the same Holy Spirit. Philip was led to that uh, moment um, by the Holy Spirit, kind of directed by that, and Jesus followed the same Holy Spirit in his ministry. And so even though Jesus was not a first person in the story, I think it's very appropriate to, to, to see this as how Jesus often, very often, uh, approaches and seeks out seekers. So throughout my talk, I may, I may um, point to Jesus uh, as his actions in the story. 
So one of the first things I see this passage, uh, uh, what this passage illustrates is that Jesus pursues us. Jesus pursues us. Luke 19.10 tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And we see this in action. And we know that from previous uh, verses, Philip was in the middle of a, a, a Sumerian awakening, I guess, and, and um, the Holy Spirit leads him to, to, to leave that crowd and go seek out this guy. You know, I read this and I can't help but think of the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18, and you're welcome to follow me. Matthew 18, starting in verse 12, Jesus uh, tells a group of people around him, he says, if a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go, and ser- go out and search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than uh, over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. And in this passage, Jesus is referring to these little ones as children, but he also tells a very similar story in Luke chapter 15 that just kind of expands this to anybody. If anybody wanders away, Jesus is going to go pursue them. And that's just what he does. You know, um, one, of the most popular, one of the most popular verses uh, maybe in the entire Bible is, is verse John 3.16. You may have heard of it. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very popular verse, and it's a very wonderful and amazing verse, and it reads like this. It says, For God so loved the world... For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is a very amazing, I mean, just very powerful. And you could probably just peel this one word at a time and just, just open up the, uh, a world of, of God's promises and, his, uh, uh, and um, biblical foundation from this amazing verse. Uh, but if you're like me, it can also be kind of this kind of gets stuck in a filter of like this philosophical statement. And that God so loved the world that he gave his son and everyone who believes in him. And that, that doesn't diminish the power of that verse at all and don't hear me saying that. But from, for, for people like me, it just, it, it kind of loses a little bit of its luster because it, it kind of, uh, uh, it seems too general. Uh, and, and so, unfortunately, when I think of this verse, I think of God so loved the globe. And I, see, I kind of see this image of a globe and it's, um, and then I kind of get over that and say, no, 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 God loves the people of this world. That's why he sent Jesus, not, of course, not for the globe. Um, but it's just kind of like this, this, this idea, this sweeping statement, the world versus the individual. And I think many biblical ideas, even about Jesus, kind of get stuck in this, this world of philosophy. And, and I, uh, I, I lead, I'm one of the small group leaders here at the church, and I am the primary uh, discussion leader and, you know, every week we open up the, uh, the Bible or every time that we uh, have, um, every time that we do that, we, and I just ask a question, you know, what do you guys think about this? And, and it's, it's usually pretty easy for people to make these kind of general statements about the Bible. Well, I think, you know, I, I kind of like the, the story of the, the Samaritan woman, you know. Uh, I think God does really find people at the well. And, you know, uh, God really does seek after people. And, and, and it's, I tell you, some of the longest pauses that I've experienced in the in uh, the discussions is when I ask a question like, "What does this Bible verse mean for you? What does this mean for you?" Like, yes, it's nice to talk biblical philosophy, and yeah, we could you know chatter about biblical theology, but what does this Bible verse mean for you in your life? 
I think we have to apply the Bible to our own lives. And so we, so we look at this verse, uh, uh, the story of Jesus uh, pursuing this, this uh, uh, Ethiopian eunuch out in the desert. And, and yeah, I say, okay, that's nice. Jesus finds people where, wherever they are, even if they're in the wilderness. And the, this, one of the messages I'm here to say is that Jesus will find you if you are in the desert. Jesus will find you. Jesus didn't come to just save the world and maybe a few people will fall through and maybe you're one of those people, maybe not. No, Jesus came and he died for you. And Jesus uh, would have come if you were the only person on earth. This isn't some philosophical statement. Jesus pursues you, us, individually. And I think we have to remember that. We have to remember that. Otherwise, these stories just become nice stories. So I have a tip for you, um, which I try to do in small group, as I was trying to say, is that I want you to personalize scripture as much as possible. Personalize these messages as much as possible. And, I, you know, it's not just, you know, I'm going to insert David Jacob wherever I see the name Peter. That's, that's not what you should do at all, because you, I wasn't there, and I don't want you to think I was there. And so uh, that, I think that would be inappropriate. Um, and I don't... You talk about the story of the woman at the well, and, you know, well, I haven't had, uh, you know, five adulterous relationships, and I'm not, you know, killing Christians around the world, and I'm not this stuff. But, but if we personalize these stories, we can ask ourselves questions like, if I were an outsider, if I were alone, pushed out by the good people of society, would Jesus find me? Would Jesus die for me? Is this stuff real for me? Does it make sense for me? And the answer to the question is yes. Yes. These stories that we tell aren't just stories. They're not these, you know, uh, things that we can, you know, ponder on. The good news of Jesus Christ is an individual thing, and it's here for you and for me. The next thing I see this illustration shows us is that Jesus walks beside us. Jesus walks beside us. I read starting in, uh, in Acts 8, starting in verse 28. So seated in his carriage, and we're talking about the Ethiopian eunuch, is that he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside, beside the carriage. So Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? So it's really important for us to understand that Jesus does not force his way into our lives. Jesus does not force his way into our lives. Even if he finds us, even if he pursues us across the world, he's not going to say, well, I made all this effort. I'm just going to come in whether you like it or not. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Jesus Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, he says, look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus doesn't barge down the door of our lives. Even though he's standing, he's found us, he's knocking, he's saying, let me in. He's never going to barge down the door. Why? Because if Jesus did, it would be nothing more than just religious slavery. You know, I I don't know about you, but if I were to barge down the door of your house and and say, I I want you to make a meal for me, we're going to sit down, we're going to have a meal together, I mean, if you watch any cop show, they call that a hostage situation, (laughs) right? There's no relationship. There's no friendship there. I mean, you do it because the guy, I mean, someone just barks in your door. 
But Jesus pursues us, and he, he says, I'm here. I'm here. I'm available. Because at the end of the day, it's up to us to let Jesus into the carriage. It's up to us to open the door and invite Jesus into our life. Isaiah 65, verse 1, is an address from God to his people. And it just so happens this is kind of at the end of the age. And and, um, God says to his people, he says, uh, the Lord says, I was ready to respond, but no one asked for help. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that did not call my name. Because it's very possible that we are seeking something in the world. We're seeking some sort of truth. We're seeking some direction that may be selfish, maybe not. Maybe it has something to do with Jesus. Maybe not. And Jesus finds us and he pursues us to wherever we are, in the middle of the desert or in the middle of a crowd. It doesn't matter. He finds us. And he walks along beside of us. And as we see here in this passage, he says, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. But it's up to us to invite him in. It's up to us to invite him in. So here's a pivotal moment, a very pivotal moment in the story, that the eunuch actually let Philip in. He let Philip in. Starting in verse 30, he says, Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. It's a very big deal. It's a very big deal because it's one thing to just kind of know that Jesus is somewhere nearby. You know, Jesus might be on your porch, and that's, that's not really where Jesus wants to be. He's, he might be walking alongside of you. He might, you know, you might have a relative who, who kind of knows Jesus, and you kind of tap into Jesus through them. Or, you, can, you know, there's, there's some other way where, you know, there's a Bible on your coffee table, and, if, you know, if you need it, it's there. It's something to have Jesus nearby. It's another thing to actually invite him in. And it's a really big deal that this guy, this seeker, this, like, you know, notice at this point in the, this point in the story, he hadn't even given his life to God. He, he had not yet converted but he was seeking truth, and he said, all right, Jesus, come on in. Let's hear what you got to say. And it's such a pivotal moment. Whether or not, it, maybe you've been following Jesus for years, and you're trying to understand something, and you say, all right, Jesus, I, I don't get it. I want you to come in. <laughs> Help me understand this. Let's have a conversation. And maybe you haven't experienced Jesus at all, and you have no concept of what it's like to talk to Jesus. I just think it's very important to, 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 to realize, one, that Jesus has pursued you. Jesus has found you. And I think it's a very simple prayer. Jesus, if you're there, I, come on in. Let's talk for a little while. It's very important. So I have another tip for you. Invite Jesus in. Invite Jesus in. And again, this isn't some philosophical statement of, yes, I have invited Jesus into my life. It's like, what does that really mean? Yes, we have invited Jesus into our marriage and our relationship. Okay, but how does that actually play itself out? So if we get down to the very practical, I would say invite Jesus into this specific situation. Invite Jesus to have dinner with you. And I love praying that prayer. I heard it one time, and I pray very regularly when we have dinner. We're praying for a meal. I say, Jesus, will you have dinner with us? Will you just come and sit at the table and join us for dinner? Jesus, I'm doing this project at work. Lord, will you... Will you just come sit with me? Will you just be with me right now? God, I'm in the middle of this, this terrible situation. Jesus, will you just come and, and sit with me? Will you come in? Come into this situation. 
come into this situation. Again, it's one thing to just have Jesus nearby, this philosophical idea that, okay, Jesus is somewhere. Yes, Jesus is everywhere. It's another thing to invite him in to the situation. So if we are so bold to let him in, we see that Jesus tells us the truth. Jesus tells us the truth. This past, uh, starting in verse 32, again in Acts chapter 8, it says, the passage of scripture he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And here's where we see the clearest example. This guy was actually interested in the truth. He was asking the tough questions. He's like, okay, this, this Bible thing, this Jesus thing, it doesn't really make sense. Help me out. I want to understand what's the truth. I think it's also very important to note that Philip's response, which is very characteristic of, the, uh, of encounters with Jesus, uh, was, uh, was to the point of, um, was to point the Ethiopian, Ethiopian to the truth of Scripture. To the truth of Scripture. And the Scripture has to be the foundation of all our truth. You know, it's likely Philip was a follower of Jesus while Jesus was still alive. This wasn't that long after Jesus was around. So Philip didn't say, you know what? Let me tell you my story about my idea of what Jesus is about. But instead, Philip goes to the source of truth, to the source of God's word, and says, let me tell you about Jesus from the scripture. Let me tell you about Jesus from the scripture. And honestly, really digging the scriptures can be a very scary thing, especially if you have very little uh, interaction with the Bible and you maybe even never read the Bible. Or even if you have read the Bible, I've read the Bible quite a bit and I'm still scared to read some sections of the Bible. I'll be very honest with you, I have a really hard time reading the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most challenging sections of scripture you may ever read. But it's... It, it's still the truth regardless. I, I, I kind of liken this to, um, to my fear of going to the dentist. Uh, I, I am not afraid of the machine. You know, people are afraid of, like, you know, the giant machines and the whizzing and the sounds and the, the sucking and all that stuff. I, I don't really care about that. I mean, if, if you're trained and you want to use a jackhammer on my teeth, it's like, okay, I trust you. Or just, just get it done with. Maybe knock me out if you have to, whatever. But I, the reason why I'm afraid is because I haven't been to the dentist in seven years. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, and this is, I had really no part in this, but thankfully, my family has just been blessed with, like, healthy teeth. And I've just been riding that for the last seven years. <laughs> and it's terrible. I mean, I'm not, you know, condoning this at all. This is very bad. But I had this fear of going to the dentist because he might actually tell me the truth. He might actually tell me you need some work done. Now, some of us avoid going to the doctor because of our pride, whatever. We, we avoid the truth. We, we avoid seeing an expert, seeking things out because we don't want to hear the truth. It's not, really, it's not really a comfortable thing when someone says, you need some work done. And usually, usually, and I can almost guarantee it, that when you look in Scripture, it's going to tell you every single time, you need some work done. Me, me. I'm talking about me. Every time I read the Bible, I just, man, I, I need some serious 
serious work, though. It can be a very scary, scary thing, especially if we don't seek to understand the Bible. And this is one of the things that Philip was, I feel like this illustration was trying to drive home, is that we ought to seek to understand the Bible. I can, I can give you a list of mathematical equations that you read every single day that maybe you memorize, maybe you can draw out. But if you don't understand it, it's gibberish. It doesn't mean anything to you. There's no way to apply it to your life. The truth, even if it is there, doesn't mean anything to you. So it, Philip, Philip asks, uh, Philip doesn't approach a chariot and, you know, run up to the chariot, hear this guy reading the Bible, say, oh, okay, he's reading the Bible. He's, he's good. All right, I'll, I'll see you later. But he says, do you understand? It's so important that we understand what is going on. It's so important to understand what was going on. Because if we want to really seek out this, this truth that, that Jesus seems to offer, we can read all we want, but if we don't understand it, it's just not going to mean anything to you. Philip shared the good news with the eunuch. And I'll tell you, if you seek out the Bible, uh, and it seems like every story that we've hit on so far, people walk away rejoicing. And that's exactly what he did in this story. He walked away rejoicing because the good news of Jesus Christ is actually good news. You know, this, this revelation that you actually need work done, it's good news. There's no condemnation in it. There's no like, dang, you don't understand? Goodness, you've heard this ten times? Man, you, you, you failed again? No, it's good news. It's good news that, that Jesus, the truth of Jesus is that you can actually be saved, that you can actually walk in healing and wholeness. That God does want to encounter you and he does pursue you and that he does find you wherever you are? That's good news. And as, as crippling as it might be, as, as much as it might convict you and drop you to your knees, it is good news. You know, we liken God to a, to, to a doctor. And it kind of goes along with my, my real life dentist story. But God is giving you this prescription. And we call that the Bible. We call that the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of God. He's giving you this prescription. He says, listen, I, I, I'm giving you this prescription because if you take this, you will live. You could try to find some other route and, you know, do some other things. But if you take this prescription, it might be difficult, but you will live. And that is good news because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the prescription is, we are living and we are not dying. We are not dying. So let me give you another tip. Test everything against Scripture. Test everything against Scripture. You know, what is, what is your identity? And maybe, maybe you've been poured into by relatives, maybe de degrading you your whole life, and, and, and hu uh, husband or wife or, or a boyfriend or girlfriend or friends that just, just, just push you down, coworkers, whoever. What does Scripture have to say about that? Is there hope for my marriage? Well, the easy way out, and all my friends are doing it, we'll just get divorced. We'll just start over. What does Scripture say about that? I would challenge you to, 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 to sift this sermon through Scripture. I would challenge you to sift everything that you hear about Jesus through Scripture. Because hopefully, if we do, if we do our homework right, we're doing this right, we should be founded on Scripture. And I understand for some of you that, that, again, it might be a scary thing to go into the Bible and really seek out what this thing is all about. It's, good, it's a good thing to have people like Philip around 
people who, have, who are regularly reading the Bible, people who are regularly engaged with Jesus, and on a pursuit themselves, because I'm telling you, nobody has figured it out. There is this paradox that we're trying to teach the young men in our church, that there is this, this uh, amazing paradox that the, it's the wise people who seek wisdom, and you think, well, wait a minute, are they wise or not? Have they got wisdom or not? And it's like, yes, they are wise because they are seeking Jesus, or seeking wisdom. In the same way, people who are, who are like Philip, who, who seem to have kind of captured something like the big picture, they're still seeking after Jesus. So maybe, maybe you're not at a point in your life where, where you can really open the Bible and say, hmm, yes, I understand, this is what the Bible really says. I would, I would encourage you to seek out a mentor. Seek out somebody. Have a conversation. Invite Jesus into that moment and say, Lord, help me. But it's so important that we found our lives of the truth of Scripture, the truth that Jesus offers to us. So what's the big picture here? How do we tie this all together? The big picture starts with Jesus seeks us. Jesus pursues us. It's not this, it's not this universal us. It's not this philosophical us. He pursues you, and he pursues you, and he pursues you, and he pursues you, and you, and you, and he pursues me. And that's such amazing news that we don't have to try and figure it out. We don't have to try and weave our way through this massive jungle to find Jesus. He pursues you, wherever you are in your life, wherever you are in your life. And when he finds you, he doesn't bash down the door and kind of take you hostage and say, all right, let's go. You know, I made all this way. Let's go. But he said he walks alongside of us and he offers himself to us. And he's always there. And he says, I'm here. I'm here. Here I am. Here I am. And so we have access to Jesus. We have access to Jesus. And it's up to us to let, us, let him in. It's up to us. And whether you're a seeker, you have no concept of Jesus, whether you've been following Jesus for some time, it's always up to us to let him into that situation, to that moment in our lives, to those questions. Ask the tough questions. Say, God, we need to have a conversation about this. Don't base it on what your grandma told you when you were a little kid. Don't base it on, you know, what your wonderfully loving uh, uh, relative told you. Uh, They might have had the greatest intention. But seek Jesus where the ultimate truth is found, and that is Scripture. And you'll never let go. uh, You'll never be let down. And the good news of all this is that you will, if you read it right and really see what the Bible is really trying to tell us, is that it is good news. It is good news. We ought to be rejoicing as much as it might sting at first, we ought to be rejoicing in the good news that Jesus came to save us, to set us free, that we don't have to be in bondage anymore, that our life doesn't have to be this way anymore. If I could sum up the good news of Jesus Christ in, in a statement, that's it. That's, my, that's mine. Is that your life doesn't have to be this way anymore. Jesus came to save you from that, to rescue you. He is after you, and he's found you. Let him in. Let him in. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the promises that you've given to us. God, I I thank you that you do pursue us. No matter where we are in life, and no matter how many times we've rejected you, no matter how many times we just kind kind of ignore you, you keep pursuing us. You keep pursuing us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I just... 
I remember how many times I just did a backflip right back into the muck that you pulled me out of. And I just kept doing that over and over. God, I thank you that you never let go. I thank you that you keep on after us. Lord, I, we also acknowledge that there takes a measure of strength that comes from you to actually let you in, to actually let you close to us where we're vulnerable, where we're weak, where we don't get it. We don't get it. God, we need your truth. Lord, will you help us? In Jesus' name, amen.